So we'll just jump right on, uh, everybody get settled, and we'll just jump right on into our study tonight. Now, I need to start tonight a, a little bit differently uh, than normal. I need to begin with uh, an apology. Uh, Pastor Henry has asked me to do this, and by the way, he will be doing uh, the same thing uh, this Sunday morning. Uh, this past weekend, we had a guest speaker, uh, Pastor Nate Smith from Journey Camp, was here, and on Saturday night, uh, he spoke to the youth on Sunday morning. He spoke in both the 8.30 and the, uh, and the 10 o'clock uh, service. Uh, in all three of those services, he said things, and he used some language that was inappropriate, absolutely inappropriate. I looked up Ephesians 5. Paul says this, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light. Walk as children of light. By the way, that is written for you and me, just normal, everyday Christians. How much more should a man of God standing in the pulpit of God set a higher standard? That was in, entirely inappropriate, some of the things that he said and some of the things that he did. So we want to apologize. Pastor Henry wants to apologize. The staff, uh, Blackie, the board. Uh, it is our responsibility to not allow those type of things to happen. Uh, we've dealt with it, and I can assure you it will not happen again. And we will do our best. Uh, obviously, we all make mistakes, but we will do our best to make sure that in the future that anybody that speaks from this pulpit will obey that scripture. Okay? Um, and so just uh, we just want to say sorry. Hopefully uh, we can, you know, address it and, and move on. All right, tonight we step through the door as we did last week into Romans chapter 6. And we're going to be in verses 7 uh, through 11. If you got your Bible, I st I'm still a big believer in looking at your Bible. Uh, I've got, I'm going to show you all the verses. And, but if you got your Bible and you want to follow along, uh, please feel free to do that. Romans chapter 6, verse 7 through uh, 11. Now, if you go around the world today, uh, the world is divided into countries and nations, right? Uh, back in the Old Testament, even back in the uh, Middle Ages, we called these, uh, we called these kingdoms, right? Um, today we call them countries and we call them nations. And there are, there are numerous uh, countries and nations around the world today. But in the spiritual realm, the Bible says that there are the same thing that we have two realms or two kingdoms or two domains. You can kind of call them whatever you want to call them. Um, but there's only two of them when it comes to the spiritual realm. Now, the Bible teaches this all the time. Sometimes it just calls these out, but sometimes it just talks about the characteristics of these two spiritual realms. For example, the passage that I just used in Ephesians says, you were darkness, you're now light, right? Psalms 52.3 says this, you love evil more than good. You love lying more than truth. See here, the Bible's talking about two spiritual realms. It's not calling it out. It's not saying it's a spiritual realm, but it's talking about the characteristics. In one kingdom or one domain, there's darkness, there's lying, there's evil. On the other domain, there is light, there is truth, 
there is goodness. Now, the Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 5, he kind of put a different spin on these two kingdoms. And, and the way he clarifies them, he says one of the kingdom, this kingdom of darkness and evil and, uh, and, and lying, he said that's kingdom, we can put a title over that called In Adam. Everybody is in either one of these two kingdoms. They're in this kingdom of darkness, which he calls in Adam, or they're in the kingdom of light and goodness and truth, which Paul calls in Christ. Everybody in the world is in one of those two kingdoms. By the way, you can't choose to stay out of those kingdoms. You can't have one foot in one and one or the other. You're either in Christ or you are in Adam. It's one of those two uh, things. Now, every one of us are born into this world in Adam. We are born into this world, into the kingdom of darkness and lying and evil. We are born just like our great, 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 great grandfather Adam. We inherit his sin nature. But when we are born again, something happens. Paul uh, uh, explains it like this in Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and he has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. There's these two domains or kingdoms. We were in the one, now we are absolutely in the other. Now here's the thing. I am in this new kingdom, right? This kingdom of truth and light and beauty and grace. But I bring with me into this kingdom this body. I bring in all these old habits and all these old tendencies and these lusts and dispositions. I call it baggage. I bring in all this baggage with me into this new kingdom. By the way, the Bible just puts a, a, a title of that and calls it the flesh. I'm in this new spiritual kingdom, but I'm living still in my flesh. Now, in this new kingdom, I, I want to walk as a citizen of this new kingdom. I, I want to walk in truth and beauty and grace and light. But that flesh is way more comfortable in that other kingdom. And it keeps trying to pull me back. Let's go back over there. Man, I feel better over there. I, I fit in better over there. And it's always trying to pull me out of this kingdom back into that other kingdom. See, the flesh is, is a constant threat to me living in this new kingdom. Now, this is where I think a lot of Christians, especially new Christians, struggle. They think, a lot of people think when you get saved, and somehow God is just going to wave a, a magic wand over you, and He's going to take away all the temptations and all the, the lust and all the things that you've always struggled with, uh, all that baggage. He's just going to make a, a wave a magic wand. He's going to make it all go away. It doesn't work that way, does it? Now, sometimes God will deliver us from one thing or another, but for the most part, the most common thing, we have to, we have to walk these things out. We have to battle these things, and we'll talk about that just a little bit uh, later. Now, sometimes some Christians, after they battle sin and they battle it and they battle it, they might come to the point and say, you know what, I'm, I'm sick of this. I'm just, I'm just tired of fighting this same old sin. I'm just tired of fighting this same old temptation. You know what? I'm just not going to fight it anymore. I'm just going to give in. After all, Derek's been telling me for six months, I'm saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It doesn't really matter what I do. It's apart from works. And that is absolutely true. So I'm just going to quit. I'm just not going to fight that old thing anymore. And they're tempted to give in. 
You see, guys, even Christians aren't immune from the temptation to abuse grace. Even Christians aren't immune from that. And we can find ourselves just being complacent about sin. You know, I just can't fight that no more. I'm just going to give in to it. After all, I'm still saved. God's still going to forgive me. God still loves me. You see, it's, it's this kind of attitude that Paul writes Romans chapter 6. And he starts off at the very beginning. He says, what, what do we say to somebody like this? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul says, no. By no means. God forbid. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Now, last week, we looked at that first phrase that Paul uses. It says, we died to sin. What, what does Paul mean by that? Well, we saw in verse 5 that Paul introduces this concept that as Christians, we are unified with Christ. The Bible says Christ is in us and we are in Him. There's a unity with Christ. And in that unity, it says we, have, we, have, we are united with Him in a death like His and we are united with Him in a resurrection like His. Now, what does that mean? It means that His death is our death. You see, when Christ died 2,000 years ago on that cross, God thought of us as having died. In verse 6, Paul says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. So Paul goes on to verse 7. He makes this incredible statement. The one who has died has been set free from sin. Do you remember the example from last week of Slobodan Milosevic who was on uh, trial for war crimes at The Hague back in 2006? And right in the middle of his trial, uh, he died of a heart attack in his jail cell. And everybody just went home. They just canceled the trial. And here's the thing. The law was still there. The, the crimes, that the war crimes that he committed, they were still real. In fact, his victims, were, some of his victims were still alive, still suffering from the wrong that he had done to them. Those things were all still there. But he died and they just canceled the trial and went home. Why? Because while he was alive, law could punish him. While he was alive, the law could condemn him. While he was alive, the law could sentence him. But when he died, the law couldn't do nothing. Paul said that's exactly how it is with you and I. God sees us as being crucified with Christ. We are dead. The law cannot do anything to us. Let me tell you, my, uh, the law is still here. My sins are still real. They're not pretend sins. I've really committed them. By the way, the victims of my sins are still around. The people that I hurt with my words and my actions, they're still here. But God has canceled the trial because He sees me as having died through my unity with Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul says this, Therefore, if anyone, say it with me, is what? In Christ. If you are united with Christ, you are a new creation. The old man is dead. Behold, the new has come. You see, that comes through our unity with Christ. So Christ's death on the cross frees us from the penalty of sin. That's what we mean by justification. We are made right with God through faith. Now, last week, we stopped right here, and we asked this question, how then shall we live? Jesus Christ has died for me. I have been set free from sin. What kind of life should I live? Do I just go on with that old baggage and just keep sinning and keep doing the same things I've been doing for all of these years? See, this is the, this is the question that Paul is answering. He's saying, no, no. How can we who died to sin still live in it? 
I mentioned last week, Paul doesn't say you shouldn't sin. He doesn't say, you know, Jesus died for you. You really should try harder. You should really try not to sin. No, Paul says you can't sin. You can't sin. Now, what does he, what does he mean by that? Now, let me answer a question. Is Paul teaching perfectionism? Y'all know what perfectionism is? There are some people that believe that once you become a Christian, you can't sin anymore. Some people believe that as a Christian, you can actually reach perfection in this life. Is that what Paul is, is teaching? No, that's not what he's, he's teaching at all. I could give you a thousand reasons for that from the New Testament, but I'm just going to give you three uh, from these verses. Notice in verse 1, Paul doesn't say that you cannot commit a sin. He says you can't go on what? Living in sin. By the way, living in sin corresponds to the question, should we continue in sin? And he says no. See, the idea here is not that you can't sin. The idea here is as a Christian, you can't keep on in a pattern of sin. You just can't go on in that same pattern over and over and over and over again. Paul says that there's just no way you can do that. So he's not, I don't think he's teaching perfectionism. A second reason he's not teaching perfectionism is found in verse 6. Paul says, our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. Now, by the way, if he stopped right there, the body of sin might be done away with. We might think, well, now, wait a minute. What does he mean? Does he mean that I'm not going to sin anymore? But look what he says. So that we would no longer be slaves of sin. It doesn't say we can't sin. He said you're no longer a slave to sin. You don't keep living in sin, in a pattern of sin. Let me give you the third reason. We won't get to these verses tonight. We'll be there next week. But in verses 12 and 13, Paul says this, Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't, don't, don't go on presenting your, the members of your body uh, to sin as instruments of righteousness. You see, if Paul is teaching perfectionism, why would he tell us that? If Paul doesn't understand that there's an ongoing battle with sin in the Christian life, why would he tell us don't do those things? So Paul clearly understands that the, that the reality is that we do sin. Okay? We can sin and we do sin. In fact, 1 John 1, 8 says this, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in it. I sin. I say things I shouldn't say. I think things I, I shouldn't think. I do things I shouldn't do. To this day, I still do those things. So what makes me any different than Lindsay Capuana? Do y'all remember my, y'all remember Lindsay from last week? This is Lindsay Capuano. Lindsay Capuano is a young girl. She makes $200,000 a month doing things on the internet that she should not be doing. Now that wouldn't even, what caught, the, you know, that's, that's normal out there in the world today. What caught my eye is that Lindsay Capuano says that she's a Christian. When the interviewer asked her, how do you justify the things that you do and say you're a Christian, her response was this, God will love me no matter what. Doesn't matter what I do. I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm forgiven. God loves me. Doesn't, it doesn't matter what I do. So she just goes on day after day after day in a pattern of sin. So what makes me any different. Listen, Lindsay Capuano is a sinner. Yes, she sins, but I sin. So what makes me any different than her? 
Well, let me, let's look through our scriptures and let's see if we can find the answer to that. In Romans 6, 4, Paul said this, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. This is what Paul's saying. Remember, in, through our unity with Christ, we are, we, uh, our death, we died with him on that cross. We've been crucified. Baptism is a symbol of that death. Paul says we're buried with him by baptism into death in order that, and I, by the way, I underline those words so you can see this. God didn't just save us because he loves us. Yes, he loves us. But he saved us for a purpose. He saved us for a reason. He, he, we died with Christ on that cross for a reason. Why? Paul says in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in what? Newness of life. Paul goes on in Romans 6, 8, and 9. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with Him. For we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. Verse 10. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. Listen, somebody said to me, Man, you sure went deep last week. Okay, maybe we did. So if you struggle with any of this, let me say one thing. What makes you a Christian is that you are united with Christ. Are you with me? That is what makes you a Christian. You're not a Christian because you walk down an aisle and pray to prayer. You're not a Christian because you go to church every Sunday. You're not a, a Christian just because you do a little extra and come on Wednesday night. You're not a Christian because you got a, a symbol over your uh, head uh, that says, I'm a Christian. You're a Christian because you are united with Christ. That is what makes you a Christian. And when you are reunited with Christ, two things happens. The old man dies and the new man is raised. The old woman dies, the new woman is raised. We died with him and we live with him. We died a death like his and we live a life like his, which look what it says. It's a life that is lived to God. See that? You, don't, you, can't, have half the, the, you can't have half the cake. Right? It, it, it comes both ways. You died with Him and you live with Him. See, this is why we can't go on living in sin. Because we are in Christ. His death has become our death. His life has become our life. And like Christ, we are now alive to God and we have to live a life like His. A life that is uh, looking to God's purposes and God's ways and and, and, and is run by God and directed by, by God. Verse 11, Paul says this, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Where? In Christ. There's that unity. In Christ, you are dead to sin and you are alive to God. Paul says, consider yourselves this way. Start seeing yourselves this way. This is who you really are. This is your reality. This is your true identity, this person that is in Christ. Not too long ago, I was watching a documentary about a, a young girl that had anorexia. And it was so sad. She was a beautiful young girl. She was healthy. And, and she would look in a mirror. And for whatever reason, when she looked in that mirror, she didn't see what you and I saw. She thought she was fat. She thought she was unattractive. I mean, she wasn't. But I don't care how much they told her. I don't care how much they counseled her. How much people told her. She didn't see it. 
See, the fact is, too many Christians are looking in the mirror and they're seeing who they are, I mean, who they were, not who they are. They're still looking in a mirror and saying, I'm that old person. I, I, no, Paul says, quit thinking that way. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Start seeing yourself that way. Let me tell you, this is the entire purpose of chapter 6, to teach us who we are, not who we were. Let me say that again. This is the entire purpose of, of Romans chapter 6, is to teach us who we are in Christ, not who we were without Him. To show us that for the very first time in your life, you do not have to sin. You don't have to. You still do. You still make mistakes. But before, you were a slave. You, you, were, you, you had a ring in your nose, and sin just led you around wherever He wanted you to go. God's taken that out. You're not a slave anymore. You don't have to do it. This is what chapter 6 wants to teach us. You know, I was thinking tonight around the campus, we got all these people meeting. We got kids over in the children's building. I think there's some men's group meeting. There's women's groups meeting. There's all these different people meeting. What's the point? What's the purpose? What are we all doing? Don't you agree that, that all, of, all this is about getting to, for, for us to be more like Jesus? Isn't this the whole point? To encourage one another, to exhort one another, to admonish one another, to be more like Jesus. See, that's what, that's what we're all here for. That's what we're all striving for. But let me tell you, this is where it starts, knowing who you are in Christ. See, that young girl looked in that mirror and it didn't matter what all the people told her because she couldn't see who she really was. See, you can go to classes, you can do all this stuff, but if you don't know who you are in Christ, you're never going to advance in holiness. You're never going to win that battle against sin. It all begins with knowing who you are in Christ. So let me go back to my question. What makes me any different from Lindsay Capuano. By the way, last week I said, Lindsay Capuano is not a Christian. That's, I just came out and said, now maybe I shouldn't have said that. Sometimes I tend to make bold statements like that. But let me tell you, Jesus said you'll know them by their fruit. You'll know them by their fruit. Who you are on the inside always comes out. It always comes out. Always. But what makes me any different? I'm a sinner. I sin. I'll give you a list here in, in just a minute, just so you know I still sin. What makes me any different? By the way, my mother called me out on this. Can you imagine the gall? She, she, when I, I went in, I, over there, I stand right over there, she said, well, what makes you any different than Lindsay Capuano? Don't you sin? Uh, yeah, I did. By the way, I turned 58 on Monday. If you think that sometime in your life you'll outgrow being called out by your mother, you're, you're dreaming. That never, that never happens, right? They, they, they will call you out. So what makes me any different from Lindsay Capuano? So we're going to take a test tonight. I'm going to take the test, and I want you to take the test. I'm going to give you some quotes, some actual quotes, and I want you to tell me which quote resonates with you. Which quotes best represents who you are in your life? Okay? Here's the first quote, which is from Lindsay Capuano. She says, God will love you no matter what. 
In, in other words, it doesn't matter what I do. I'm saved. God's going to forgive me. I'm saved by grace. Jesus loves me. doesn't really matter what I do, so I'm not even going to try. I'm not going to fight all this. I'm just going to have a good time. I'm going to enjoy myself. I'm just going to go on in this pattern of sin. That's quote number one. Now, how about this quote? Not that I have already obtained this or I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I don't run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You see the difference? One person says, it doesn't matter what I do. I, I, I'm, just, I'm not into all that stuff, all that legalism. I don't matter. The other person says, I fight. I run. I press. I discipline. Sin will not have dominion over me. Which one resonates with you? See, I know the one that resonates with me. I can see the difference. I learned a long time ago, as I've gotten older, I figured something out, that who a person really is on the inside, it may take years sometime, but who you really are will come out. I've seen people fake it for a long time, but one day, who you really are down deep is going to come out for everybody to see. Let me tell you, a true Christian, it'll always come out. Because a true Christian will always fight to become in practice what they already are in Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. If you are really united to, with Christ, if that old person has really died and that, and that new person is a new creation, if that is really you, then you will fight to become in practice to, here on this earth what you really are in Christ. Are you with me? See, you will always fulfill your true identity. Always. And that's why I say Lindsay Capuano is not a Christian. Because she's just continuing on in a pattern of sin and she's not fighting. She's not striving. I'm not asking for perfection. But I'm saying a true Christian fights. A true Christian battles. A true Christian runs and presses and disciplines and tries. They don't give up. They don't quit. They don't throw in the towel. That's a true Christian. Now, this leads us into next week's um, subject. And I'm going to give you a quick teaser because I want to give you some stuff to think about going into next week. We're going to begin to talk next week about sanctification. Now, what is sanctification? For those of you that have been around church for a long time, you, you're probably very familiar, but I'll just assume somebody here is, is new. Maybe you're a new Christian. You don't really know what sanctification is. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you kind of a, a definition. Uh, and I'm going to do it in really plain English. I'm sure there's much better theological definitions, but I'm going to give it to you in real plain English. A, a Christian is like uh, clay on a potter's wheel. 
And, and the Lord is, is working on you as time goes by. And He's working out those imperfections. He takes you through situations and, and, and different things. And He's working out this imperfections. And you're becoming more and more and more like Jesus. You've overcome certain sins in your life. And now He's, he's working on overcoming other sins in your life. Everybody with me? That's a pretty good definition. Let me, let me give you a little more official definition. Again, this is still very simple, very plain English. And you tell me if you like this definition. Sanctification is the state of experiencing growth that is measured by becoming more Christ-like. How many of you like that definition? Raise your hand. Is that a good definition? It's, it's the state of experiencing growth that is measured by becoming more Christ-like. I take that, by the way, from Romans eight twenty nine. Paul says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. If you are a Christian, it is your destiny to be conformed to Jesus Christ. That's going to happen. That's your destiny. It's predestined. God's already decided. If you're a Christian, you will become like Jesus Christ. That is, if you will, sanctification. Now, I got a confession to make. Okay? When I look at those definitions and I reflect on my own life, I find myself frustrated. Okay? I am, I turned 58 on Monday. I was saved in 1974 when I was 11 years old. I've been a Christian for 47 years. And, and I can truthfully say that there are things in my life that I've overcome. There are sins in my life that once controlled me, and I have, I've overcome those. They are no longer a problem in my life. But guess what? Anybody know what's coming next? New ones just popped up. They, they just popped up. As I get older, I just find... <laughs> I, got, I got things I didn't even know were there. I know some of the things I'm fixing to tell you, you're going to find hard to believe, all right? I, I get it. Now, Kathy, she has no problem with the things I'm about to tell you. But the rest of you, you only know me from church, right? You, you see me on the recordings. You see me get up here. You don't really know me on a day-to-day basis. But I, as I get older, I, I get grumpy. And I'm not talking about get out of bed grumpy. I'm talking about grumpy when you don't even know why you're grumpy. Anybody... Ever been that kind of grumpy? I'm not talking about grouchy anymore. You can't sleep, so you're up early. That's not the point. The point is, I'm just grumpy, and I can't even tell you why I'm grumpy. I complain. I'm a complainer. I know, I know that's hard for y'all to believe, but I will. I complain a lot. I am too set in my ways. I do not, as I get older, I don't want anybody to break my patterns up. I don't want anything to... I just, just I want everything to work a certain way, and when it... When something interrupts my patterns, I get grumpy, <laughs> right? I'll tell you something that's popped up in my... Oh, I don't even know where this came from. I find it very hard to be nice to people that I don't respect. I, I didn't used to struggle with that. I, I don't even know where it came from, but I, there's people that I just don't respect, and I struggle with being nice to them. How about this one? Instead of becoming more tolerant of people's failures as I get older, I get more judgmental. I get more critical. And I'm constantly, constantly having to fight against these things. 
See, here's, here, I'm like that kid. Y- y'all remember the story about the kid that puts his finger in the dike? I put my finger in one hole and another hole opens up over here. So I run over there and I plug that hole and another one opens up over here. It's just, I mean, I just got these, I got personality problems and fl- they're just popping up all over the place. And see, what I found in life is that life stages just present you with new ways to show how unsanctified you are. Let me say it again. Every stage in life just gives you new ways to show just how absolutely unsanctified you really are. I mean, you think about it. You know, you're, you, you grow up and uh, you're at home and one day you get married. Well, if you want to find out how unsanctified you are, just put a man and a woman in a house 24 hours a day. That'll bring it all out, right? So, so you battle through that and then the kids come along. Well, that changes everything. The dynamic completely changes. Now it's all about them. It ain't about you no more. And then one day you think you got that figured out, they become teenagers. Well, where did this come from, right? They, they're pushing buttons. I didn't even know I had buttons that could be pushed, right? And then you get to middle age. And then you get older. And then people around you, you start experiencing loss and illness and death and pain and fear. You see, time just brings new stages. And each new stage just brings up these issues and problems in your life that you have to deal with. See, here's my thing. Why haven't I made more progress? 47 years. I think I should be a saint by now. And I feel, I just don't feel as good as I should be. Does anybody else feel the same way? I should be further along. I I should be more sanctified. I should be... I, I just, I struggle with that. What's wrong with me? Now, let me tell you, I could blame it on people, but that would just show how my sorry state of being unsanctified is because I'm blaming other people, right? I can't even do that. So what's my problem? What's our problem? Here's the problem. I think you and I tend to see sanctification like that. It's all about performance. At the very top of our thing, we've got this thing called perfection. And we see sanctification as we're climbing this ladder. I got to get better. I got to get better. I got to get better. And it's all about performance. In fact, let's go back to my definition that everybody seemed to like. The state of experiencing growth, that is what? Measured. So we're constantly measuring ourselves. Man, I, you know, I messed up this morning. I had a good day today. You know, it didn't, you know, everybody was gone, right? The wife was gone, kids are gone, I'm all by myself. It was a good day. I did really good because they took all the, you know, they took all my, my button pushers away, right? So the next day they're all back and I have a terrible, I mean, it's all about performance. Here's the thing. If we find ourselves measuring our performance on some sliding scale, aren't we just putting ourselves back under the law? Aren't we just putting ourselves back under the law? Paul will tell us next week, you're not under the law, you're under grace. See, the Christian life is supposed to be restful. The burden is supposed to be light. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 1, Come unto me, all you that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Why do I feel like it's so hard? See, the fact is, it all starts with how we see ourselves. 
I, th- I don't think we're seeing ourselves in Christ. We're, we're, we're looking at ourselves and we're seeing uh, every day I look at myself and I see, man, how, how, how bad I am. I'm not making progress. I'm, I'm me- how about if I change my viewpoint? What, what if I changed how I saw myself? See, I think the problem is too many of us make sanctification our goal. We measure our successes and we measure our failures and those become our focus. Here's my question for you going into next week. What if success and failure stop being our focus? What if Jesus Christ was our focus? What if you just got up every day and you didn't think about success, you didn't think about failure, you just thought about Him and my relationship with Him and who I am in Him? Do you think that would change everything? Let me tell you, it does change everything. Absolutely changes everything. Next week, we're going to talk about, as we root through Romans 6, how to battle sin. How to battle sin. And I think you're going to be surprised at some of the things Paul tells us. And one of the things he's going to tell us is, is it ain't about success and failures. It's about who you are, knowing who you are in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we love you. Uh, we honor you. And we thank you for your word. Thank you so much for Romans. Thank you for this great letter the Apostle Paul wrote these so many years ago. And it is so practical for our lives. If we'll just listen to what it has to say and allow the Holy Spirit to make it real in our life. Father, I pray tonight that, uh, as Pastor Henry said last week, that we'll come in here and we won't just leave and allow the enemy to snatch this word away. But God, you'll make it real. You'll implant it down in us. Even as we go through the week, we'll begin to focus on you and our relationship, you in us and us in you. Focus on that and you'll take care of the rest. That's what makes this easy. That's what makes this burden light. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.